Just 10 beats. 10 beats, that's all you need. <laughs> that's what I always say that. This is the Epic New Podcast. Two idiots and a list. Where you're going to get two idiots and a list. And now, coming to you live from Circle Avenue Studios, your hosts, Nick Vassolo and Kirik McMillan. Hey everybody, welcome again to another episode of Two Idiots and a List. Today we are going to talk about Phil Collins and Genesis. Phil had an extensive career, both on his own and with the band Genesis. These guys put out a tremendous amount of music. I'm here today, as always, with my co-host, Nicholas Vasolo. Yeah, thanks, Garrick. Uh, I'm super excited today uh, for not only Phil Collins, but Genesis also. Uh, you do want to talk about a storied career, a long career, too. Not only with Genesis, but Phil Collins' solo stuff, too. And um, it's not just the music and, you know, the fact that he was, a you know, in you know, separating his time from two bands, you know, his band and, and uh, you know, Genesis. Uh, but the man's personal life, you know, it's... Uh, there's a lot going on there. There's a lot, a going, lot going on. on. And there's, a, there's a lot to get to today. So let's let's jump right into it. Um, so today we're trying to condense all of Phil Collins' solo work and his work with Genesis. So it's, again, it's almost 45, almost 50 years of music. This was a challenge for me. Yeah, it this was. This was a challenge. It was. I mean, right off the top of my head, I was like, God damn, I've got like 15 songs already. I'm like, and they're good tunes. So we're going to try to convince them down, uh, condense them down to uh, five, a five song list for each one of us. And uh, yeah, I, I had a lot of trouble with this one too. I, I had trouble sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> Odd things keep you up at night. Yes, they do. <laughs> as we structure this, or as we have structured this, let's, uh, let's begin with the honorable mention. Yeah, I could have had like 17 honorable mentions. There's totally. so many. But then totally. I, I came to a realization that I think we'll, I'll crystallize it at the end. But I think that we're going to, we'll come to it as, as we go. Uh, but my first honorable, or my, my only honorable mention is uh, the song Abacab off of Abacab. I, I remember this song distinctly. This might have been the like my realization of there is this band called Genesis and this song is Abacab and I really, really like it. And it was right around the time, like we were one of the first uh, you know homes to get cable. And of course, MTV came into our homes, I think in August of 91. And like, this is one of the very first videos that I remember distinctly. There wasn't anything magical about the video. It was just the three uh, goofs on you know a lighted stage and but it was all of the pieces like fit together even like uh, uh, who's who's the, the keyboard is Tony Tony Banks Tony Banks yeah right uh, like his whole solo in that thing like I remember sitting at my desk in fifth grade like being yelled at by the by by the teacher like to stop fiddling around at my desk because I was doing <laughs> Tony Banks's piano solo from this song, and I'm sure that kind of like set the stage for the rest of my junior high and high school careers. Like who's a fucking weirdo over there? Well, and these guys were early in the birth of MTV. Yes, MTV was looking for material from any band that was as established as Genesis was, and and I think 
from what I saw, and I don't recall, we didn't have cable, so I, I didn't get a lot of MTV unless I was over at a buddy's house. So I don't remember the videos terribly well myself. That said, the, the stuff that I found when I was looking into the band, a lot of it indicated that these guys would just take footage of them playing on a stage. And MTV was thrilled with it because Genesis was so well established that they were able to get uh, you know, a video from a band that that people knew and, and they could use that for material. Well, yeah, but I mean, this is a whole different, you know, area of a podcast, but I mean, MTV would take fucking anything. That's why so many bands from Europe made it over to MTV because in Europe, it was a thing. That's how you promoted your music. You would make a video. They were rudimentary videos, but like MTV is looking for, you know, things to fill 24 hour music video channel with no American bands were doing it. And all the Euro bands were do had, had done it. They're like, shit, we'll just put them on Adam Ant. I don't know who the fuck that is. Put him on there. He looks crazy culture club, like all. And so like, you got this whole new wave of culture and texture and arts and everything into, a, you know, the American bloodstream through MTV because the, you know, a band, a European band like Genesis already had this shit done. They were, they were, they were pretty groovy with it. They, they were, they were all over. And this song in particular was, you know, um, one that really just stuck out for me. So this is actually my number two. Really? When I think of Genesis, I think of this song. And, and when we talked about doing Genesis, the first song that popped into my mind was Abacab. And I don't know why that's the case, but when I think of Genesis, I think of the, the edginess of that song and how, uh, how the keys interact and, and how the... The, the the rhythm there's just something about it yeah the chattering keyboard is like another percussion instrument you know phil collins's drums are like like full you know fully in front of this song right and and the you know they, they got that kind of guitar keyboard breakdown in the middle of the song and then it runs into the next verse with this sort of sampled vocal repeating behind phil's lyrics as he's singing there's this like doot, 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 kind of sound yeah. thing i always dug the sound of this song it it might one of my complaints about it is it gets a little long in the tooth at the end oh that's what the fade out button is for <laughs> that's right <laughs> and uh you know there's there was i was always under the impression that it was called abacab because it was written in the keys of A, B, and C. When in fact, it was called Abacab because as they wrote it, they, they put it into sections. They said, all right, this is section A. And then they went right. into the next part and they said, this is section B and this is section C. And as they were writing the, the plan out for the song, Abacab ended up on some whiteboard somewhere, a chalkboard most likely given the time. But they had this Abacab. Now, it was either Banks or uh, Mike Rutherford or maybe Collins. I don't remember. One of them came back and they said it's actually a, a erroneous title because the the end of or the actual layout turns out to be like A B A C A B U Z Z B A. Right, like it's, right, right. It, it ends up with multiple sections, but. I thought that was kind of interesting. I was always under the impression that it was due to the key of the song, but it is. I it is thought not. it was. I thought it was the chord progression, and then as I like just fucking around on my guitar, I'm like, that makes no fucking sense. It doesn't even sound like the song, so it's definitely not A B A. And then and then I read that the same thing. You know, it's the, the sections of the song. It's like, oh, that makes more sense. Like, yeah, I get it. All right, so your honorable mention. My honorable mention is no reply at all. 
I like this song for a variety of reasons. Uh, Phil Phil used the horn section from Earth, Wind, and Fire. The Phoenix Horns. The, the Phoenix Horns, exactly. Used his horn section from Earth, Wind, and Fire on his first solo album. And when Genesis did this song, he said, let's do that again. And to me, every aspect of this song works. There's not... I mean, the Phoenix Horns are amazing, but they don't... That's the whole encompass. song. They do, but if I mean, you to listen, me. listen to the bass line and how it complements the, the horns as they play, uh, it just kind of brings them into... highlights what they're doing. And then they have the keys and guitar adding this texture that kind of fills out the song while the bass and, and the horns go back... And, and play intermittent strokes of, of music or, or, or bouncing around off of each other. I, I think it's a great song. It has Phil Collins' fingerprints all over it. This could oh, be, oh yeah. This could be a solo song from from Collins and end up on one of you know his albums on his own. Yeah, I mean, isn't that kind of all the work the Genesis did in the '80s? It's like Phil Collins' side project to his solo career, and it's like they're like. You know, Mike and Tony are like, hey, Phil, can we do another album? I think that we can, you know, can we do one more? And it's like, ah, sure. Come on, lads. Let's go. Well, I'll, I'll come off the bench and throw a 60-yard bomb for you. And that's what he does. Like, that's all he does. He comes out and just fucking launches. You know, he just, he's a, he's a playmaker. That's, yeah. and I can't stand that fucking song. But the horns alone are, are worth it. Like, when the, the, the intro to the horns is over, I turn it off. But, uh, yeah, that's a... Uh, those Phoenix horns, did you? Uh, I, in a little preparation for the pod, I kind of did a did a little deep dive on the Phoenix horns. One of those dudes um, was was shot dead by the, the LAPD in 1993, and then later um, Phil Collins, not Phil Collins, but I'm sure his management group uh, ended up suing the Phoenix horns uh, for uh, royalties backs. Uh, they put out some sort of greatest hits album that had 15 songs, and the Phoenix horns guys got paid. A fifth of a percentage point on the royalties. I read about this. It yeah. was a live and album. The, man, the management group comes back and he's like, "Hey guys, you're only on five of those fifteen songs. So I'll tell you what, we're gonna take some of that money back." And then the judge is just like, "Listen, we're gonna call it square right now, and for the rest of the you know the, the life of the album, you guys don't get shit, but you get to yeah. keep the money that you already made." You know. <laughs> so. I did. I did read about that, and I thought, "Wow, that's that." I like the fact that the judge came back and said, okay, you know, Phil and Genesis, you guys are worth, you know, however much you're worth. Yeah. And the Phoenix Horns, at, at a fifth of a percentage, you know, are getting half shot by the cops in fucking L.A. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I, I, I heard Christ. that and I read that and I thought that was a, a pretty good outcome for those guys. Or, yeah. or at least it, it, it seemed like a reasonable outcome for those guys. Those fucking guys, those, those lawyers at those management companies, man, they got their fucking, they know their shit. Like, wait a second. Hold Keep on. Keep your hand out of my pocket. <laughs> yeah, because the, the album was already like seven or eight years old. They were like looking around, going through their files, looking for somebody to sue, I guess. Okay. All right. Let's get into the list here. Um, here's my, uh, I got my my uh, my fifth song on my list. Hit me. Is, uh, is Take Me Home. Take Me Home. 
I love that, like the uh, his uh, the the intro again. He's got that weird, weird percussion uh, thing introing the song, and then the, the organs come in, and you know he's he's always you know he's a very he's a good lyricist. And in this instance, you know it's you know he's obviously talking about his travels around the world, uh, and the comforts of home, which you know. I mean, Phil Collins, I think, is just looking for some place to lay his head where he doesn't have to get sued or divorced I think, at right. this point. And I mean, wow, did he get soaked. Oh, man. I mean, I, what I read was his... And I, I don't know that his first wife took him from for anything. If, if she did, I didn't see it. But wife number two and wife number three pulled just shy of 50 million pounds out of him. Now... At an exchange rate of about a buck seventy-five to two dollars oh, yeah. to the pound, that's a shit ton of money. Just a shit ton of money through the teeth. Through oh, the teeth! No wonder he was such a fucking hardworking guy. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this mother. He goes from from nineteen eighty. He. Uh, I'm just gonna. I'm gonna read this for you. I'm gonna take a little time here. Two minutes. Okay? Please do. All right. Here, here's Phil Collins's life. All right. In nineteen eighty. Genesis releases Duke, okay? And then in February, so they tour on Duke. And in February of 81, he releases solo album Face Value, okay? And then in 1981, in September, they release Abacab, Genesis. In 1982, early in 1982, he plays drums on the Robert Plant's first solo album. Then in November of 82, he does his second solo album. Principle of Moments. In February of 83, he does drums on Plant's second album. Oh, I thought that's what you were referring to. Principle of Moments, yeah. No, no, no. In November of 82, he does his own second solo album. I think it was I gotcha. Required or whatever it yes. was. In 83, February of 83, he does drums on Plant's second solo album. And he also then produced Adam Ant's Strip album. All of it. In May of 83, they released Genesis. In 84, he does Against All Odds and, and tours on that song alone. In 84, he also does Easy Lover with Philip Bailey from Earth, Wind, and Fire. And he plays drums on Clapton's solo album. And he does Band-Aid, the Feed the World thing. Right. In 1985, he does no... Oh, 1985 is No Jacket Required. That's his third solo album. And then he plays Live Aid, where... Not only does he play his own set of music in London, he takes the Concord over to America and plays drums for Led Zeppelin in Philadelphia. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Which he later he talks shit on Led Zeppelin saying those yes. guys weren't fucking prepared. <laughs> yeah, they they complained about him not knowing the song and he came back and said they weren't prepared. Right. He's like, Jimmy Page didn't know the song. So I don't know who to believe. I'm I'm going with Phil on this because that is quite a fucking I mean that's a that's a hell of a five years. Jesus Christ. He's gotta be the busiest the busiest man in show business around this time. And and not only busy, but churning out he has he has more US top singles. I'm sorry, US top 40 singles than any other artist in the 80s. You're talking about Michael Jackson. You're talking about McCartney. You're talking about, you know, the other big players from that time. He has more top 40 singles in the US than any other artist in the 80s. That's that's incredible. He has seven number ones in the 80s. That's number two to Michael Jackson. Wow. That's fucking crazy. Seven number ones. Uh, And you're talking about a decade with Prince, Madonna, uh, Michael Jackson at the height of his power. You know, everybody there. I mean, that's it's jam packed, and this this guy walks away with seven number ones. Crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. 
crazy. Oh, and he also produced and played drums on No One Is to Blame, one of my faves. That's Howard right. Jones's. Yeah. That's right. He did some stuff for Thin Lizzy and ABBA as well. Like, <laughs> he like, really want to get into the weeds. <laughs> so, I mean, like, I mean, I, I kind of get why he gets divorced, right? Like, if you're married to Phil Collins, like, you're never seeing the guy, ever. So, here's, and here's something else that I, I heard about that dispute between him and Zeppelin, and I, and he has disputes with a few other people, too. Apparently, the, uh, the the fellas from Oasis, the Gallagher brothers, are they've had a beef going with this guy for a while. Uh, Roger Waters threw shade at him. So did David Bowie. A buddy of mine told me um, he's a big No Gallagher fan, and he said uh, No Gallagher was doing a question and answer, and, and, a, and a young kid asked him a question. It's like, "What's your favorite fossil?" And he, he looks at the kid and he's like, "Phil Collins." It's a hell of an answer. <laughs> well, you know, so. This guy's got all this work, and, and he goes through these three divorces. He's been divorced three times, two of which took him for somewhere between 75 and and $100 million. <laughs> yeah, ouch. That's a, that's a gut punch of all gut punches, uh, with the exception of uh, Bezos and what he just got soaked for. But well, listen. <laughs> he can afford it. So as I was looking at, at some of the Phil stuff, and I wondered, okay, you've got this guy who's who's gone into a marriage, gets divorced, goes into a second one, gets divorced and pays for it, goes into a third one, gets divorced and pays even more. Is this, a, is this a, you know, is, is this a Phil thing? Is it because he's constantly busy? And then I, I observed something as I was looking through his stuff. Of his solo albums, nine, so he's got 11 solo albums, nine of those album covers are of his face. Well, you know. Is there a, an ego thing going here that maybe Phil's a little, a little full of himself? I mean, it's not what? like he's Brad Pitt. I don't no, know how he's many not. People, but he's always been very self-effacing. But, you know, it's it's also one of those things of like, you know, the, the ones that are self-effacing are also the ones that are most ego-driven, I guess. I, I don't know. I mean, it, it seems like, you know, they say, you know, Phil Collins is the nicest man in show business. I don't know if that's tongue-in-cheek or not to be quite honest with you. It could very well be. I mean, you know, you you, you create an album called Face Value. That makes mm-hmm. perfect sense. And then you create an album called Hello, I Must Be Going, and it still has your face on it. Eh, maybe, we're, <laughs> maybe we're talking about somebody who's a little full of himself, and, and perhaps that's... Perhaps that's come into play relative to these marriages. I don't know. I don't know. All right, let's, let's wrap up his personal life All here, right. because so just recently, just in the news in August... Though the third wife that he divorced in 2006, they decided that he was they were going to reconcile. And so he moved into this mega mansion down in, in, in Miami. <laughs> I'm sure it's a beautiful home. Yeah. And so she's living there. They're not married. And she's living there with the two sons that they have in that marriage. Then she goes ahead and gets married without telling Phil Collins and then moves the, the new husband into the mansion with, with them. He's living off in Switzerland now, but but she's living in his mega mansion like with the new husband and didn't bother to tell Phil. And so Phil went to the judge and said, hey, get him out of here. I want him evicted. And, uh, you know, then she starts spreading a bunch of shit like, you know, he's, you know, for the, oh, you don't know how bad of a person Phil Collins is. He hasn't shaved or brushed his teeth for a year. Ouch. <laughs> yeah. And to the Ouch. Judge, the judge admonished her and said, stop spreading um, that those type of uh, personal details about uh, Phil Collins or you know whatever, but I mean this is still going on. This is still going on. Jesus Christ! Unbelievable. Anyhow, we're gonna lay off the guy. Well, 
we we already laid into his personal life. So. Anyhow, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I, don't I don't know what to say about him. It's like so. I was watching a video of him doing. It was a. a, a um, on YouTube, they have like a promotional video. It's like an hour long of him putting together this show for 19, I want to say it was 94. So it was just one of his last solo kind of go arounds before he hit the Disney big time. And uh, he, it's just him. And he's got this, you know, probably 20 musicians behind him, singers and backup singers and, and the horn machine. He's in everybody's business. And, and that's not to say a bad way. He's like, they show him cuts like with him, collaborating with every single the guy who plays the alto sax the guy who plays the trumpet the guy who plays the keyboards the two drummers that he has um the bassist the guitarist and they're they're all professional and very competent musicians and he's just like kind of talking with them he's like all right and this you know beats four in this song this is what i want okay all right he was very it's um when i saw michael jackson's this is it uh, when Michael Jackson took you behind the scenes of putting on his show, it was it was that level of technical detail. Like the, he's just a like that he's genius indeed. level stuff. Yeah, well, yeah, he's just like genius level. Like like on the eighth beat, this is what has to happen, and everybody's like, "Yes, sir, you got it." And it was it was really interesting to see him and Michael Jackson were very very similar in the way they worked. All right, my number five. We've heard yours. Mine is turn it on again. Turn It On my Again is a Genesis song. Did you say that's your number three? That's my number three, yeah. Outstanding. Uh, a song about a man who does nothing but watch TV. <laughs> believes, yeah. believes who he sees on TV are his friends. This song, there's something, and, and if you've heard our, our Rush episode, you know I'm a fan of syncopation and kind of offbeat music. So... If, if you know anything about time signature, this song has a 13-8 time signature. So a standard time signature is like a 4-4 time signature, which means that there are four quarter notes per bar. Uh, this is a 13-8 time signature, which means there are 13 eighth notes per bar, and that's an offset number. And you can hear it when the song's playing. You're like, there's something that's just a little off. And Collins said, whenever they played this song live, the audience would start dancing and then immediately looked like like they were sick or, or that, that they were having a seizure or something because the audience would get the beat going and then it would hit that 13th beat and then start the next phrase. And you couldn't dance to it, but people wanted to dance to it because it's a live show and people are jumping around, but... I always liked this song. I thought that that slight little Asian twist they drop into the into the song after the after the choruses. I always thought that was cool. Uh, great use of keyboards. They're very subtle, but they're they're driving. There's no guitars in it. Very little. There are very few guitars in any Genesis song. No, there really there really aren't. It's all Phil. This song and and this I this I found was interesting. So this song didn't reach the top forty in the U.S. most places except for Chicago. It was number really? thirty-one on WLS. And maybe that's why I remember this song so well is because we were drowned in it at a certain age and and like like a lot of Genesis and a lot of Phil songs, he got a ton of radio play with both bands. This was no exception. Yeah. Well, it was, wasn't Turn It On um, the uh, tagline for WLS radio? It may have been. I seem to remember that. Anyhow, yeah. I do remember getting, like, just, you know, 
drowned by this song. Um, but I, I it, like I said, it's my number three. It's um, and and what you kind of described about the time signature is probably why the reason why I liked it so much because it's such a different uh, type of feel to the song. He's he's you know he comes in on his lyrics like off the beats and you know that's that's kind of odd, but it works. It works really well, especially in the song and the, the lyrics. Um, also are just they're great you know just another face that I know from a TV show and if you go into like Reddit and like read about the what people have you know attributed these lyrics to like I, I wouldn't have suggested it for too long because you come away thinking that you know it's it's a song about you know split personalities and schizophrenia and I'm like, oh, okay all right <laughs> I don't need to get that, that deep into it uh, but I think that you're right you know it's just like people just watching TV and it's like oh you're just this is my family. These are my friends. I have known you for so very long. I feel you like a friend. Can I meet you another day and we'll fly away? And that's where it gets into, yeah, it, it gets into like, you know, with the, the woman, you know, can I touch you for, it's like, okay. Uh, it gets, I try it's not to creepy. dig in. Yeah, it's a little creepy on those lyrics, but you know what? That, that, that's when I kind of hum the words. <laughs> Actually, I like to touch. I like to touch. <laughs> All right, your number right. four. So my number four is another like uh, strange beat one, and it's not. It's again not one of those songs that you could dance to, and it's just kind of off. It's not. I don't. I don't know even know if it charted, um, but it's it's off of the Abacab album, and it's Man on a Corner. This is my number three. No shit. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, it's just really. It's it's in the same vein as. Um, Oh shit! His big one, the Miami Vice song. Oh, uh, in the air tonight. In the air tonight. It's in, the, it's, in the, it's in the exact same vein. Like he must have been in the same headspace when he wrote this song as that one, because it's it's like kind of it's creepy, it's it's eerie, it's you know it, it plods along. Yeah, and it's like and again, like this is this is uh, this is not my words. This is from your internet detritus. It's yeah, some people think that the man on the corner uh, that he's talking about is Jesus. Really. I never got a religious sort of feel never. from this song. Is he saying that the fact that he's lonely is that people have forgotten about That's right. religion, or that? Yeah, yeah. There's some crazy fuckers on the internet. If you've heard of that before, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's like you know, uh, there's the lonely man there on the corner. You know what he's waiting for, and nobody knows. It's it's like, and somebody said, "Oh, that's that's a parable for uh, for Jesus and uh, Christianity." <laughs> Everything could be a parable for Jesus. God damn it! I just come to the light. I need to get off the internet. <laughs> I, I thought this was a great song for a variety of reasons. He uses a drum machine here, yeah. which is is unique for him because he's a drummer, a left-handed drummer, I might add, uh, and and was not trained initially as a drummer. He he actually started as a child actor. That's that was his first line of training, and then uh, moved on to music and, and played drums at a, from a very young age moved into uh, child acting and then went on and you know kind of came back into playing the drums the uh, interesting part to me about this song is that he starts it with a drum machine and keeps it running throughout the entire song and he brings the real drums in at the bridge about halfway through uh, but but it has just that that unique kind of feel with that drum machine and as the song starts, you get that sort of off-rhythm entry of the keyboards. It's a great tune. Again, great lyrics, too. The, the, um, 
the the synth is doing something strange too when when he's singing into the bridge like the synth is almost like a slide synth almost it's it's a it's it's before the time that synthesizers could do that could bend notes because now you can bend notes with the synth but i i don't know in in you know what is it 1981 that that you could do that so i don't, I don't know how they got that sound and it's definitely i don't think it's rutherford playing his guitar through a through an effects mod pedal it just doesn't seem like that um i don't even know what rutherford is doing in the band you know what blows me away about this band is that they're a trio this is three dudes and they well, are that's what putting I'm saying. out an amazing amount of sound and an amazing amount of of just unique sort of sounds uh, yeah well you know banks has got that fortress of keyboards behind you know he sits behind you know he had like 12 of them programmed to do other things and 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 you know phil could do you know he could do the the out in the front man you know in the spotlight he could also do the drum machine he could do the drums he could do it all and again like there's not a lot of guitars in any of genesis stuff and i i couldn't i couldn't even put my finger on one genesis guitar solo i was like oh yeah that was no i agree even in fucking mike and the mechanics like there's only really <laughs> one song that i know of his and it's him plucking like doing a little chinker uh chicken plucking on it on your door. I don't like it. I don't think that he needs to be there. I'm not sure exactly what he's bringing to the table either. I suspect <laughs> it's a lot of sound that, that you wouldn't identify as coming from him. But nonetheless, without him, it would be weird. Uh, I'm going to give him that, that benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Yeah. I, this is the man on the corner. He Collins has taken a little flack for a variety of reasons. And I think a lot of it has to do with the ubiquitous nature of Phil Collins, right? He was everywhere. Everywhere. In the late 70s, the 80s, the 90s, getting into movies. You just couldn't get away from, from Phil Collins and what he was doing. And I think that made him a target, an easy target, kind of low-hanging fruit for detractors. Uh, the Gallaghers panned him, as we talked about. Duke and Abacab were... You know, good standalone, you know, not, not rock albums, but like prog albums. And then after that, when he starts his solo career, it's like the solo career and Genesis's um, work are like the all they all run into one. Like their, their songs are very, very similar. Like when I when I made my list, you know, I'm like, holy shit, I've got a lot of songs here. And then I started listening to the songs to get a feedback for him. I'm like kind of they're kind of all the same yeah they have a very similar vein that runs through them yeah 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 well he said it himself he's like you know it's um the reason for all my success in songwriting is my first divorce and you can hear the influence on that album uh, for sure you know as i looked through his stuff you know i went through i didn't go through the really early genesis stuff it was just it it was a little too out there for me. And then I got into the the sort of late 70s Genesis. I think about as early as I went back was Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. And that's the crazy thing about this band. Peter Gabriel was in this fucking band and he's yes. like, all right, guys, I'm going to go solo. And they're like, Phil Collins is like, all right, that's cool. We'll, yeah. we'll, I'm, we'll I'm going to go run with this puppy you. now. Yeah, we're going <laughs> to take this thing and we're going to make it a money machine. Hey, thanks for leaving, by the way. <laughs> right, it's like Peter Gabriel leaves the, like, the, the door is just swinging closed and Phil Collins is like, all right, motherfuckers, this is my band now. This is how it's going to go. And these are the songs that we're going to record. And, you know, Peter Gabriel, it's like, I, you keep on thinking, it's like, oh shit, that's right. He was, he started the band, right? He was there before Phil was. Yeah. So you look at, like, Phil's solo stuff, after 
I want to say it was about his fifth album. The, you know, his first four albums had a little grittiness to them, influenced by these broken relationships. And then he gets in later on, and I really, once I got to the fifth album, I didn't recognize anything. And all of it, absolutely all of it, sounded like it should be played on Light FM. It just yeah. had that same vein running through yes. every song that you were like, okay, I, I've had enough. I'm, I'm good. Uh, Against All Odds, uh, Easy Lover, One More Night, uh, you know, all those, it's like, it, like if Bill Cosby's sweater could swing a, sing a song, like this is what it would sound like. <laughs> For sure. Like it's all Light FM stuff. You know. Yeah, one of the things, getting back to this thing that he got panned for on Man on the Corner, and actually it wasn't Man on the Corner, he got panned for it on Another Day in Paradise. Ugh. And I don't know if this is just if this is just the, you know, the, the naysayers taking pot shots at him or not, but Another Day in Par- Paradise is about homelessness. And the sort of face value meaning of the song Man on the Corner is also about homelessness. Homelessness. Right. Looking everywhere at no one. He sees everything and nothing at all. When he shouts, nobody listens. Where he leads, no one will go. So nobody you, knows Jesus. him. Nobody cares, right? It's it's pretty... <laughs> I like the I like the Jesus it's aspect. Jesus. It's <laughs> I'm telling you. Uh, no, it's, no, you're right, and it's uh, you know he was he was woke before he was you know before anybody else, and he took shit for this. He took shit for this because they said, "Well, you've written about this, but you haven't done anything about it," which I thought was a little shallow in terms of the critics saying, "You know, you've you've sung about this issue, but you haven't solved the issue." Well, I, okay, and, and critics will write about him not solving the issue while not solving the issue. That's right, for right. You. It's yeah. <laughs> so, all right, that is our. My number five, or was it your number five? That was my number four, and I my number three was turn it turn it on again. Yeah. All right. So, so my number four is Inside Out. Mm, yeah, it doesn't do it for me, man. I, I like the uh, I like the big drums at the start yeah. of this, and then they cut back to this sort of light guitar, sort of funk riff, and and the drums just do these snare snare rim shots during the verses and then they come back into the into the chorus and it's back to the big drums and keys and vocals and everything's big and planted right in the middle of this thing is a pure pure 80s saxophone solo listen to this and you are in the middle of a Michael Douglas movie. You feel like Kathleen Turner's going to come walking around the corner in a second. <laughs> and not you know, Kathleen Big I've been smoking for... Yeah, smoking hot Kathleen Turner. Yeah, smoking hot not I've been smoking for 50 years Kathleen. <laughs> not, not I am on fire. <laughs> yes, and eating, you know, 90% of my diet is mashed potatoes, mm. Kathleen. No, that this is this is good hot Kathleen 80s Turner. Just a smoky sax solo coming through for you. Yeah, right? And and he's got a little bit of his he's got a little bit of his divorce in this, right? He's got a line that says, I won't lose sight of all the things I'm looking for. They're coming for me and I'm taking or I'm sorry, they're coming to me and I'm taking what's mine. Look, he's 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 starting to get a little pissed off about these divorces. Listen. How many I mean, of all my notes here, all these fucking songs you're looking at like 90% of them are about him, you know, and his fucked up life. 
like him bitching about his life. Like, like I wonder what Tony Banks is thinking. He's like, <laughs> right. God, another one of these films. I mean, haven't Jesus we heard Christ, do we have to? It's we like, have to sing about your fucking love life again? Get over it, man. Um, and I right. guess that's why you know you get divorced three times in a row. Like, yeah, can absolutely. I go back to the sex? Fucking so! Who, who who exactly do we blame for the sax solos? There was a rash of them all the way through the eighties. Now Terrible. who the fuck do we blame for that? I don't know. Wham started a song with it. It happens to be my son's ringtone. Oh boy. Yeah, it's have, it's rough. It's, it's rough living <laughs> it's, in our house. It's rough, rough times in the McMillan household. <laughs> um, I don't know what to do about Sean. His ring. Have you heard his ringtone? <laughs> Oh, that. Yeah, 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 yes. yeah. Well, that was smack dab in the middle of the 80s, that song, that uh, Careless Whisper song. But, I mean, I want to I want to track. Maybe we can do a deep dive on that. But I, I have my suspicions that it's fucking Bruce Springsteen and that goddamn East Street band it is. Could be. I, I forget what that guy's name was. Clarence. Uh, Clarence. Clarence yeah. something. Clarence Clemens. Clarence Clemens. I was going to say, it's not Clarence Thomas. Yeah. <laughs> that's like, not right. Like, <laughs> no, that's, that would be funny. It's like, oh, Clarence can do it. Let's get a Clarence Clemens type to do a sax solo for us. No, assholes. He only belongs to the one band. Like, I don't, I don't want to hear it in my In Excess songs. I am not a giant fan of the saxophone in pop music or any music, with the exception of Pink Floyd. Those guys could, could turn a saxophone into something totally Fine. different than what you hear in, in this stuff. But we are going to talk about that on another episode, I'm sure. Indeed. But the brass section got kicked off the rock stage as soon as the guitar got electrified. Get the fuck out. We don't need your <laughs> noise anymore. All right. So we have brought ourselves through uh, the first four rounds, if you include the honorable mention, because we both pinched each other's number threes. And that brings us to a little segment that we like to call masturbatory fantasies. Now, if you haven't heard the Rush episode, I encourage you to listen listen to the Rush podcast to understand exactly what that name means. But it's hard to say. Boring people, listen to Rush. That's. I know. I know you're going to have to be forced to listen to us talk about Rush. But the explanation for that for that category name is in that podcast. This category is about which album you would want to see toured live and then pick two more bands and the album that they would be touring if you were going to see three bands in one night. And I will start it this time. And I'm going to go with the Hello, I Must Be Going tour from Phil uh, for a few reasons, which I don't want to divulge just yet because I may uncover some of my future picks. (laughs) <laughs> along with the along with the police touring synchronicity All right. and super tramp doing breakfast in america Ooh, oh nice one yeah good bill thank you good bill yeah that's 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 pretty good that's, that's gonna be tough to beat yeah so um I, I I would only I think I would only want to see them touring their Abacab album because you get Abacab and Duke and that's really all I care to listen to from these guys at all i agree and i think that you also you'll also get uh you know the uh his solo song i can't in the air tonight i think that was also around that time too right around i can't remember if that came out i think that came out after abacab you might miss and that's one of the reasons i did pick hello i must be going because you'd be able to at least hear that song and a couple others that yeah well i can miss that song too yeah i I could miss that song oh it's been horribly overplayed i don't care for it um and uh, you know, I would, I would like, I probably like to, uh, you know, take a little sip of uh, 
in excess from the Listen Likes Thieves tour. Oh, nice. And Earth, Wind, and Fire. Excellent. Yeah, right after... Right they would have been incredible to see live. Oh, yeah. How, how many dudes are on stage for an Earth, Wind, and Fire show? A dozen? There's like 12 of them. Yeah. I mean, there's like four guys in the horn section. And then, you know, they had, they had four for uh singer i mean it's, it's, oh th- talk about a wall of sound yeah really and it really entertaining so yep okay good deal and and yeah that they phil collins and genesis could open for those two bands while, I, while i'm getting my my cigarettes and my my uh footlong hot dog a loaded footlong hot then. dog <laughs> yeah for sure i was i was a 12 year old smoking back then so <laughs> thanks mom and dad all right that brings us to our number twos now i've already coughed up my number two which was Abacab so that gives us your number two what do you got? yeah so my number two actually it goes the latest into their career and it's uh, off the Invisible Touch album which I actually really like the Invisible Touch album but uh, only because it's like kind of gumball-y and uh, uh, like pop rock type stuff but uh, throwing it all the way is it's just a, it's a great song and that song is in particular that specific song is the one that uh, you know? He said, like, yeah, that that's the first marriage. It's like without invis- without my first marriage, I, we wouldn't have Invisible Touch as an album. I like that song. Great and, song. And, you know that falls Great under video too. Everything that we've talked about, I I can say I like that song. And yeah. when when we when I was prepping for this for this pod, I had a list of the Phil songs that that I liked. They weren't necessarily all top five, and I had a list of the Genesis songs I liked. And again, not necessarily all top five. 30 songs yeah oh yeah probably eight or ten phil songs and 20 to 25 genesis songs by far genesis outweighed phil for me without a doubt yeah i was about two to one on that ratio uh, genesis over phil but but still like like a lot of you know solid music and then when you get through it it's like oh it's not there's like tour you know like phil collins's songs like to to me like at the end just seem kind of like all the same yes but anyhow throwing it all the way is is a is a is a good tune i like the i think the reason why i like it so much is the video is good because um it's it's a a video that kind of goes through their uh behind the scenes of like what 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 it's like being on the road with genesis and like the you know the stage crew putting up the they played stadiums gigantic stadiums giant stadium veteran stadium you've got 60 70,000 people with huge stages for fucking Genesis I mean again like I don't know if Rush played in gigantic stadia like that but like Genesis did like three guys on a stage at that small man that's fucking crazy. it's crazy it's crazy the amount of the amount of success is just nuts and I can't imagine what that's like and I, and I wonder like I mean when I've played live, I think the biggest crowd I played to was maybe 30 people or 50 people, maybe 60. I, I don't remember, but it wasn't hundreds, and it certainly wasn't 70,000. I, I wonder if there's a point at which the crowd gets so big that it doesn't matter if it's 20,000 or it's 80,000. It all kind of feels the same. I don't know. I don't know, man. I, I, I suspect I'll never find out unless my music career takes an amazing U-turn. Imagine having an Invisible Touch tour shoot. I think about some of those tour shirts that I would buy because you always bought a tour shirt. They were always printed on the worst fucking cotton possible. Right. You know, you you, you can see through. Right. You can read a newspaper right. through those right t-shirts. Now. I wonder if like, what would it be like to see one of those again? Pull it out and be like, "Holy crap, my Rush Hold Your Fire tour shirt or whatever." You know who's got them all? Tony's got them. He's got every goddamn concert shirt he ever had, and that motherfucker's got a lot of them. No, oh, I bet he does. No, oh, yes. I bet he does. They're all vacuum-packed away, too. So that is uh, number two. Mm -hmm. Uh, That brings us to our category 
What is your most hated song? Oh, easy. Can I go, please? Please. Yeah. Hold on my heart. Can't, I mean, uh, just just saying the fucking words makes me want to tear my eyeballs out. I had that uh, as, a, as a potential for mine as well. It's just, it, I mean, it's sleepy, it's sappy, it's... It's, oh, good Lord, please, it's the, just get it, out really, of it. And it. And it came out at the time. It's like, all right, we get it. We get it. Yeah. You, you're unlucky in love. The Heartbreak Kid coming back for another right. fucking another biographical story. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, and it'll, it'll go gold overnight. Yeah. I had, uh, I had You Can't Hurry Love. I thought this song was just, and I don't know if it was too much radio play. Was it too sing-songy? Does it remind me of being at the Elm Roller Rink? Ah. I don't know, but it just had this sort of lilty kind of feel that I just it grates on me whenever I hear it. So I, I've, that 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 was my that was my number one in the shitter pick was you can't hurry love there's a couple of cr- oh yeah there's a couple of cringy tunes uh, that he put out but uh, absolutely listen what are you gonna do bring us down to our number one here the number one yeah for me going back again going back to um their their or i guess their early career without peter gabriel um off the duke album uh misunderstanding Love that too. Love that too. Great, because I believe that I, you know, I, I think I found that song or I refound that song uh, right around the time that I was also being uh, introduced to uh, the, the notions of heartache and mistrust and pain. <laughs> so misunderstanding really goes. It's it's a nice uh, shot in a beer when you, that's the, the the chaser for you. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, because like he's like stalking his whoever ex lover or whoever I'm sure one of his wives. And uh, the, the line where, you know, he was just leaving. I was like, oh, gotcha. Yeah. I think I know what that's all about. All right. My number one, this was uh, probably the peak of Angry Phil. This is off his, one of his solo albums. I think it's uh, Hello, I Must Be Going. He was pissed. He was 170 pounds of pissed off British man. Yeah. One angry chip. It is, I don't care anymore. And he doesn't. Yeah. And he sings about it, right? The lyrics dig into that. Get out of my way. Let me buy. I've got better things to do with my time. You listening? I don't care no more. This dude is pissed. I mean, listen, I appreciate it. I, I like it. I mean, at least, you know, you, you know where you stand with Phil. You know, his lyrics are pretty out there. And he really, so he brings, and you'll, you hear this a lot through his albums. He uses this effect called gated reverb. And he uses it on a lot on his drums, and he does it a lot here. You can tell it starts out with nothing but toms. Like the, it, this is a, a unique structure for for a rock song, whether it's pop or hard rock. Or the, by by God, these guys were the farthest thing from hard rock. But even prog, progressive rock, they don't really avoid the snare. He doesn't play a snare until halfway through the song. Right. And that's just really rare. You've got these these toms with these sort of gated this gated reverb effect on them. You've got these sort of way in the background wailing guitar riffs, but they're really, really quiet. 
and they just they they add this texture to it. This was his first Grammy nomination, and he lost to beat it. Ooh, yeah, tough beat. You're coming up against a hell of a an opposing team when you're going up against beat it. So, yeah. There's actually, as I was looking through this, I found that there is a uh, a heavy metal cover by a band called Hell Yeah. Great name for a metal band, by the way. Of course, yeah. Hell yeah. And I don't know if he was part of the band or if he was just on this song, but it's got Dimebag Daryl from Pantera, who, if you don't know, was murdered by a fan on stage while he was was shot. The fan jumped up on stage with a gun and shot him. Yeah. Which, by the way, further, (laughs) further research uncovered this. He was buried in a kiss casket, and yes, that's casket spelled with a K. Of course he was. And he was buried with Eddie Van Halen's guitar that is pictured on the back of Van Halen 2. Just a little side note on Dimebag Daryl. I don't know anything about Pantera otherwise, but that I uncovered these these little nuggets as I was as I was nosing around. So Dimebag was real deal, man. Uh, I wonder if he was also buried with the Kiss Urinal cakes. <laughs> I'm sure he was. All right, so that brings us to a, a new segment we're going to call the best four seconds. The best four seconds is a four second segment out of any of the songs that that the artist has played that you think are the the best. There's like the coolest parts. You might miss them, but you like when you point them out, you're like, oh yeah, that is cool. Yeah. And for me, this one was instant and unequivocal. It's the drum breakdown on Air Tonight. Because it is so iconic of, of a part of a song for this band. And it's nothing fantastic. It's nothing fancy. It's just ba dum ba dum ba dum ba dum yeah. bum bum. Just ten beats. Ten beats. That's all you need. <laughs> That's what I always say that. <laughs> I always say that. Like even Taylor Hawkins, like like so Taylor Hawkins, and you know I think he's been he he has said you know several times like Phil Collins is one of the greatest rock drummers ever. Um, I'll take his word for it. Uh, it you know he's on you know what is it uh, drummer magazine like he's he's on like all of their top 10 lists um as far as rock drummers goes um and you know there's nothing nothing pretty there's nothing to that what that riff that you're talking about but nope. you know it's it's like it's almost ironic that uh, somebody who's thought of as one of the greatest rock drummers ever to be known for you know basically that which is 10 beats and pretty much you could teach a fifth grader how to do that but there it is everybody knows what it is absolutely what you got? I got a couple. I I I've always I'm not, I'm not a big fan of the song because I I just I can't get into the whole prog thing. I just it's way too proggy. The lamb lies down on Broadway, uh, but when they break it down and the chorus comes in, and I think that's Gabriel singing that that um, on Broadway backup. I like that. I like. I, I think I like that because I like Gabriel's voice. Um, and then uh, there's another like cool four seconds, like the, the intro, the the intro to turn it on again.
some reason. And, and that's Rutherford, right? It's just one one note, just kind of plucking it, and then and then the bass of uh, Tony Banks' synth comes in. I just it builds, right? And then it builds, and then they have the the crouch. It's it's I like that. That's cool. Completely agree. Who and I think this is a this is going to be a real brief sort of conversation. Who is the MVP of this band? Oh, there's no question. It's the first wife. <laughs> Absolutely, she she yeah. took it. She took it to the end zone for for Phil. Oh fuck That's yeah! That's a great point. I think it's a great point. I mean, obviously, the the easy obvious answer here is is Phil Collins. You know, he brings more to the table than than Banks or Rutherford or frankly Gabriel. Although in Gabriel's defense, I really didn't nose around a whole lot in those albums. But you're right. The 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 former wives here brought a hell of a lot to the table oh, in yeah. terms of material and and edge and anger and well here's the one thing um i'm not so sure about the wife number two and wife number three was so later in his career that he was married to her from 99 2006 wife number two had him from 84 to 96 and those were like the salad days right those were when he was very poppy and he was doing all of his you know it's kind of more his light-hearted like light light fm stuff that first wife must have done a fucking number on him or some shit because she triggered something in his brain because when they divorced in 1980 you get Duke, face value, Abacab. You get a lot of his best stuff, and it's all that stuff that's off kilter or really angry or, yeah, it's like... 100%. Yeah, and I shouldn't say that that she must have done a number on him. That relationship really fucked with his head, however it worked out or however it played. I'm sure it had a lot to do with him being, you know, as, as much as he was on the road or, or recording or whatever, just an asshole. I don't know. It's just that I think that's wife number one. Uh, is the MVP. Without her, I don't know if you have Genesis or Phil. Great point. Great point. You know, you, you talk about these marriages. He had a few kids with each one, with all the women. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, they, they some of them, one of them might have gone into uh, either acting or movies. Um, but I couldn't tell you anything about these kids unless I looked it up, which, and that's yeah, not always uncommon, but you think about like, Will Smith, you, you, you knew his daughter put out a, a, a song, a, I don't know, five years ago, ten years ago, whatever yeah. that was. It was a yeah, stupid his, song. But his they, kids are they, in the business. Yeah. They've, they, they have not been in the spotlight the way you see some of the others in, in the spotlight. And I, I don't know if that's protection from Phil or protection from the wives or both. Uh, it's just kind of interesting that you you got a guy that's as big as Phil Collins was and I guess to some degree still is. And you don't really know that much about him except for the fact that he got soaked on these on these three marriages. But he's still worth like $200 million. But because I think that what the main takeaway from all of this is that as much as people talk about the 80s and 80s music and how, you know, how, how, how many contours there are to it and, you know, all the cultural context that, that comes into like, you know, the, the difference, uh, um, the differentiation of musical uh, tastes and talents during the 80s, and that's why it's so popular. Um, Phil Collins is a bona fide superstar Absolutely. amongst all of the superstars, right? There's there's not many, and he's one of them. And just by looking at him, you're like, wow, that's it's just so, you know, it's so, I guess, 80s, so ironic of the, of the times, like, you know, of Prince and Madonna and Michael Jackson, and you got all these people, even Boy George and George Michael, and all these people are just flamboyantly out there. And here you got a guy who looks like he's fucking ordering a half a pound of bologna at the deli mart, is a superstar and puts out all of this music that is, you know, stood the test of time. Bravo, Phil. 
All right, so the Sisters of Mercy were this goofy, goofy. industrial goth rape band. I don't know exactly how to describe the music. One song. It, yeah, they had all of two or three songs that I listened to, and I got I got Nick into at least one of those songs, and and the song is Fuck called yeah. "I Want More," and it's a tirade kind of. Well, here's a segment. So, Such a great tune. This segment is called uh, The Sisters of Mercy. Uh, and the question is, do you want more? Do you want more of Phil Collins? Do you want more of Genesis? Do you want more of both? Or are you done? Are you, do you want to create a playlist with these guys? Are you going to seek them out further? What do you think? I, I don't want any more of Phil Collins solo shit. I, I mean, looking at my list, like I've got four of my top five are... Are from two albums. <laughs> Mine, all, all uh, three. Let's see here. My tops. If you include the honorable mention, two of them were Phil, and I think f- the rest of them were off of Abacab. I don't. I. I don't know. I. I don't think I need any. I know I don't need any more Phil. And uh, you know, Genesis is a nice. They're. They're. Uh, you know, when you when you have your your own playlist going, and then you, you have your all your music, and then all of a sudden, like you know. Uh, throwing it all the way comes up. You're like, oh yeah, this is a good, great tune. I don't, I'm not going after more of this shit. So, uh, you know, no. I'm, I'm with not you. I don't it. need any more fill in my life. Uh, there, the, the Genesis stuff was a fun walk down memory lane. Yeah. I, I may add one or two songs, possibly, to my overall musical playlist, but I certainly wouldn't create a set list only for Genesis or for Phil. Oh God. It's, that's a little <laughs> too much. Uh, he, he, you, you do have this similar vein that kind of runs through it all that you can only kind of take it in small doses. And thanks to this podcast, I've had it going through my head now for, for a week. I need to replace <laughs> it with something else. Cause frankly, it's enough. It's just enough. Yeah, absolutely. I need to take a break from Phil Collins and Genesis too. But thank you all for listening once again. Um, we really enjoy doing this podcast for you guys, and uh, hopefully um, we keep on uh, creating content for you that you guys come back for. So until next time, um, we bid you a fond farewell and adieu.